I'm Jeff Johnston. I am the host of the Living Undeterred live stream. Tonight, we have a lot to cover. We're going to navigate through mental health, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, alcoholism, addiction, opioid overdoses, uh, you name it. Um, talk a lot about sports. Uh, one of my good friends is coming on that uh, plays college basketball. And uh, my son, Ian, uh, did a lot with golf to help us deal with what happened to us. You know, it's it's said that we find our true passion in life when it gets personal. And on October 4th, 2016, this got very personal for me. We lost our oldest son, Seth, at the age of 23 to a heroin overdose on that day. And from that moment, um, not initially, it took me some time, about a year, I went straight downhill. But after some time of feeling sorry for myself, I decided to become a better man and not a bitter man. And with that, I've kind of been um, uh, propelled into this realm of learning and understanding and meeting some absolutely heroic people. I formed a nonprofit called The Choices Network. I wrote a book called This One's For You. And I then started the Living Undeterred Project. And with the project, I do a blog and a podcast each week. So the four guests you're gonna see tonight have all been guests on the Living Undeterred Podcast. So if we wanna make a change, and that's the goal tonight, in two hours, we're not gonna solve the world's problems, but we do wanna make a dent. If we're gonna make a change, we're gonna to have to communicate. We need to talk about these things. And you guys out there can help a ton tonight, probably more than the four of us can tonight. And that's by sharing, by posting, by liking, by commenting, um, and doing what you can to get this word out. We are in a society of a lot of people and a lot of pain. And with that, I wanna bring in our first two guests. Uh, the way I've broken up tonight is I'm gonna have uh, the first hour, two guests, and then the second hour, two guests. And the first two guests tonight on the Living Undeterred live stream is Steve Grant and Daniel Allison. They happen to both live in South Carolina. So we had them go first tonight because they're an hour behind us. And it's way past Daniel Allison's bedtime. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, not Daniel's. And I know getting going. I know Steve got early tea times tomorrow, so he needs to get up in the morning and get out of here. But hey, I want to thank I want to thank you guys first of all. Um, I'm very fortunate to have met both of you. I met both of you about the same time. I met Steve when I was writing my book because Steve has a book as well, and I want him to talk about that tonight. And I met Daniel because I think um, Steve was a guest on Daniel's podcast, The Average Dude. So that's how social media brought us three together. So with that, why don't you guys introduce yourselves for a couple minutes, and then I got a kind of a softball question to throw out there for you, and then we'll just uh, we'll just start talking and see where it goes. Yeah, you go first. Age before beauty. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, my name's Daniel Allison. I call myself the average dude, and that's because I'm an average dude. And um, so I work for Waldrop Mechanical. I also am the chapter coordinator for the Industrial Network Group. So I like connecting with people, meeting people. Uh, that's the way that, that Steve and I met. We've had breakfast several times together here uh, in South Carolina. And uh, hey, glad to be on the show. <laughs> nice hey, to have you. I'm Steve Grant. I, I, uh, I, I unfortunately lost two sons to accidental drug overdoses. Uh, one in 2005 and 2010. And after the second drug overdose, I, I started a foundation called Chris and Kelly's Hope and have made it my uh, my plight in life to uh, help those who struggle with addiction and and, uh, and, and and substance abuse and actually also mental health. 
And uh, one day, I, I guess it was a Saturday, I had this long letter on, on an email from a guy named Jeff Johns, Johnston who would read my book twice. And I was so impressed. And, and we have certain, a lot of similarities, uh, both personally and professionally, um, that were kind of amazing. And uh, we've become friends. And I'm just honored to be here tonight. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. And I will say when I first started contemplating writing a book, Steve, I ran across your name in the Wall Street Journal. And, you know, I, I see people quite a bit that have lost a child to overdose or alcohol or, or any, any death. But someone losing two of their only two sons five years apart, I said, I put the paper down. I said, I got to talk to this guy. I have to meet this guy. I don't know what I'm going to say, but there are heroes you meet in your life, Steve. And I will honestly tell you, uh, to me, you are a hero. And what you've done to honor your two boys, um, I, I, I can't, I don't know if I'll ever be able to honor Seth the way you've honored Chris and Kelly. You've raised over a million dollars, Steve. And if you don't mind, why don't you talk a little bit about your foundation? And I don't have to ask you what drives you. I know, I know what drives you, but you, this all happened to you 20 years ago before the opioid epidemic was even a household term. How'd you handle it back then? Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, whenever I speak and, and things are fortunately the, the, we're dealing with the COVID and people are getting vaccinated and hope we're going to again, get back to some of these issues that are, uh, were going on. There were, uh, uh a public problem, uh, teenage suicide, uh, addiction, uh, overdoses, those kind of things, mental health issues. Uh, you know, when, when my first son died in 2005, I didn't know anybody else who had lost a, a son or daughter to a drug overdose. So it was very new to me. And then when my second son died in 2010, the only one I really knew was my, my I suspected another one might have, one of my son's other friends might have died of a drug overdose, but wasn't confirmed. But the only one I really knew was my other son. So, so it was. Uh, it, you know, I always tell people when I speak I was, that I was ahead of that my boys that were ahead of their time. Um, and and yes, it, it, it was difficult. Um, you know, I, I have uh, a lot of faith, and and uh, I think things happen for reasons, and 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 the Lord has a plan. And my um, and and I was put in this position because I think. Uh, truly that uh, if you were to ask my children uh, is, is, is what my dad's doing today on earth uh, trying to help everybody with this issue uh, something that surprise you and they would probably say no it doesn't surprise me at all right, um, right. And, and so so um, you know that's 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 where I go with this I do it very part-time uh, and Kristen Kelly's hope uh, you know we've raised just just uh, south of a million dollars and on a very part-time basis. And uh, I think today I have $4,300 in my checking account. I sent Jeff just a, a donation to, to his network uh, for a tea sponsor. So I'm maybe down to now, I'm maybe I'm down to $300. So uh, I'm just kidding. And, uh, but uh, I, there's always a need and there's always someone that, that uh, needs help. And, and hopefully we're there to do that. And, it's very, very rewarding to be able to uh, help somebody. Uh, we help a lot of individuals. We help a lot of uh, groups that that obviously are passionate about this cause. We also help a lot of groups uh, like um, 
like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and Junior Achievement and the First T, places like that that uh, that have programs from 3.30 to 6.30 when your kids get in a lot of trouble while their parents are at work. Right. And so, so we help those kind of groups too. Uh, and it's, it's very rewarding to, to see that effect. But at the same time, I think right before we started, I, I was telling you, I learned about a, a friend of mine, uh, kind of a distant friend, but a friend the last that lost his son, uh, obviously in the last couple of days of a drug overdose. Yeah, that seems like it's happening every day to me as well. I hear somebody, uh, it's it's really sad. And hopefully tonight we can make a small dent in this. Hey, Daniel, I was going to drag you into this as well, because you you had the opportunity to get Steve and I both on your Average Dude podcast and on, on social media, you go by the Average Dude. But I'll tell you right now, you ain't no Average Dude, man. But um, we are. Yeah, we're, we're average. You're, you're a rock star. Average. No, listen, Dan, you are. Let's not, let's not start that argument. <laughs> the, the stuff you post is so positive. And it's like, to me, it's like a daily affirmation. It's like, I get on LinkedIn, I get my coffee, I do my meditation, and boom, there's the average dude with this two-minute little tutorial on life. And you do a super job, man. And I think, um, you know, I, I was immediately attracted to, to your positive thinking, your and then you and I've talked off off camera, as they say, till late at night. You know, I've talked for hours with you and we've divulged very deep personal things. You've been through a lot, dude. And yeah. I think what you're doing is awesome. Do you mind sharing some some of your motivations that uh, got you where you are? Yeah, so that's uh, um, well, I, I see a, I see a question there from from Mike Pierce that that I don't know if you if you saw that or not. But I think it's a great question. He, he, you know, you said in the beginning, uh, uh, well, there it is. Yeah. What, you know, better, better over better. And, and, and I got to a point in my life <clears throat> where I had a similar decision. I didn't face the same. A lot of mine was self-imposed. You guys have faced situations that were tough and Good you had point. to make a decision which path to take. But I also came to that uh, proverbial, you know, fork in the road and had to make a decision. How do I want to live the rest of my life? I can be bitter over some of the decisions I've made and some of the positions that I've put myself into, or I can try to live my life as positively from this point forward. I, I often say it's like, a, you know, when, if you're playing a, 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 ch a chess match and you take your hand off the piece, there's nothing you can do. You can't reset the board. And so you have to play the, the way that the, the pieces are from this point forward and, and play your best match. So the whole average dude and, and the things that I do on LinkedIn, it's honestly self-improvement or self-development or positivity, whatever we want to call this, whatever that is, life, that's that's what I do for a living. You know, I say Waldrop Heating and Air and some of these networking groups and things like that, but it's really, it is a daily thing for me. It's it's not to, it's so that I can deal with my own psychology and, and play the best match of chess that I can from where the pieces are right now. And Steve, I guess that question was directed to you, but Daniel, that's an, a great answer. And I very much appreciate you taking the lead on that. So Steve, um, what, what made you become uh, better as opposed to bitter? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I was ever bitter actually. Uh, hmm. you know, it's, it's unusual. Uh, and this topic, this uh, question comes up a lot in different in different ways, uh, but I, I never I never was bitter, and I think it was because I did everything I could to help my sons, uh, and 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 obviously at the end of the day it, it wasn't enough, but it was all I knew, and it was all I had, uh, 
and it was more than I had actually. Um, uh -huh. So, so um, uh, that, that, you know, I, I, I talk to people all the time that uh, deal with a lot of guilt and a lot of grief. And although I do grieve, I don't have a lot of guilt. Uh, I, I, I might do things differently today than I would have done 10, 15 years ago, knowing what I know, but I, uh, I feel very comfortable in my effort. Uh, so I, I was never bitter. I was, I was never bitter. I, I, I see their friends advancing today. They're marrying, they're having kids, they're, they're moving up in the world and I'm just elated for them. And, uh, I, I know I could turn the other, I could go the other way and say, wow, that could be my son today or that could be you know we i could have grandchildren like their like like their parents are having uh and i i've, I've never once ever thought that way and and steve i absolutely I, I i think i learned that from you when i talked to you when i was starting to write the book and i asked you i said you know do you have any regrets do you would you do anything differently and you answered it fairly quickly and it was pretty clear you know i did what i could i mean there isn't much more i could have done and i you know People ask me about Seth all the time. You know, what could you have done differently? I, I don't know what we could have done. I did everything. I used every tool in my arsenal I had possible. And at the end of the day, it came down to choices. And um, that was the bottom line. And I, I know, Daniel, you and I have talked a lot about this because you and I are kind of, um, we're into the stoic philosophy. You and I do a lot of uh, stoic, um, stoicism, they call it. And yeah. they talk a lot about choices. And, you know, Steve and I, we've talked about choices. It, it meant so much to me. I named my nonprofit the Choices Network because I think that's what it comes down to is choices. So, Daniel, do you, when you look at decision making processes going especially for adolescents, um, how do you think we can get kids to learn to make better choices? And Steve, obviously, you can jump in as well. Oof. Um, you know, I, I think that it's it's the same way that we do it as adults. You know, I, I, I've been impressed with, uh, is it Mark Metry is his name on LinkedIn, but he's in his twenties and, and had a podcast, been successful doing that. And, and I think that it's, you know, through, through doing things like journaling and, right. you know, mindfulness meditation and, and all of these same things. And, and, you know, that, that can be looked at as, Hey, that, who wants to, who wants to say that as a 20 year old, you know, cool kid, right. College kid. But ultimately, man, if you can find life satisfaction in that and see, see the truth of, of that kind of lifestyle and how that's going to, to, to lead to your happiest life and best life, well, then you're going to be also way ahead of the game. I mean, mm -hmm. if you avoid some of these pitfalls like addiction, some of these powerful addictions that are out there, it's, it's really hard to not do well from a, a financial standpoint, you know? I mean, so you're going to, to really have a successful life just by avoiding those pitfalls. And I think maybe, maybe that's what the, the, I, I you know, I, I don't know what, if there is an answer ultimately for, for that. Hey, Steve, I think you were the first one to tell me the age of first use is 14 in the United States. I saw a statistic and maybe you can help validate this. And I, and I don't know off the top of my head, I'm going to probably have to make up a, a number here, but it was something like an 80% probability if you got through the age of 18 without being addicted, that you weren't going to have substance abuse problems the rest of your life. So it seems to me the sweet spot for our kids today is anywhere from you know 10 to, to 16 to 17. That That's the sweet spot. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I have um, four young men, just coincidentally, that happen to be at a place called uh, Beach House Recovery in Sunset Beach, North Carolina. It's a nonprofit uh, rehab facility, um, and it's a uh, we we uh, we scholarship the first thirty days there. And I have a young man from Altoona, Pennsylvania. One from two from Greenville, South Carolina. I think one from Greensboro, North Carolina, and, and all four of them. Um, started drinking or using drugs at 14, and mm-hmm. they're 20. They're in their mid to late 20s, uh, all four of them. And uh, this is something that they've lived on the periphery with all their all their life since they've been 14 or 15 years old, and they're they're still struggling with it. And and age of first use is a huge indicator mm-hmm. of, of of lifelong struggle with it and it's very difficult uh, my first son christopher was uh started 13 or 14 years old and and i really i really to this even today as optimistic as i am and five rehabs and boarding schools and and all and all a lot of different things in, in trying uh, nothing worked and I, I truly am convinced that uh you know i was prepared for his death i i, I really was prepared for that, that to happen because uh, I truly didn't think unless there was an epiphany that mm-hmm. it was going to change. Uh, but these, these four guys are doing well, and I, I pray that they're going to continue to do well. They've been uh, – three of them been there over a year now. And link, the other the other thing we don't talk about, Jeff, is age of first use, but we also – the big key to this whole thing is length of time in recovery. Mm. We talk about 28 days because I think insurance companies have sort of dictated that over the years, but length of time in recovery is a huge, uh, is a huge uh, part of the equation. And nobody, you know, as I talk to young people who struggle in their twenties right now and that they've struggled all their lives. And I always say, look, we're talking about a football season and a baseball season. You know, we're talking about six, eight months of your life that could could just mean the difference between you being alive or, or dead or, or living on the periphery the rest of your life. So um, just as we talk about age of first shoes, we talk about length of time in recovery. Hmm. Daniel, what are your thoughts on that? I guess, I guess I'm, what I'm curious about, Steve, is the, the four folks that you're talking about there, you know, their, their introduction at such a young age, did they come from different backgrounds? Was it similar backgrounds? You know, I, I think that that that's well, can you talk so can you speak to that? You know, I, I, I can't exactly speak to that because I only, I know two of them personally uh, and, and one is from an affluent background. Uh, but I, I do know that um, today's addict, today's uh, substance abuser, today's person who's got an issue with drugs and alcohol, uh, obviously crosses all socioeconomic lines, and and uh, it is a it is a, a, it is a disease today, uh, un- unfortunately, or for, you know that is uh, that there's a lot of affluent people that that have issues with 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 this, and they they are from uh, from good backgrounds, and and you you, you kind of look that you kind of on the surface say to yourself. Wow, I can't believe it happened to that family. Um, you know, they had everything going for them, or 
or they had all, all the opportunities in this world. Uh, and, I, and I know people said that about me, uh, about my family, and I, and I would say it about other people's families. But but I also know that it, it really doesn't it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter um, if uh, if if uh, the wrong drug gets in the right person, then there's going to be a problem. Hey, let me throw problem. let me throw this out there, guys, because I think all this falls under the umbrella of mental health and. I think um, one of my objectives is as we get further down this road with living undeterred is to have resources available to deal with things such as bullying, suicidal ideation, which we're going to talk about the next hour with Sam Gary, but all these things that come into to, to underlying mental health issues. And I know Seth, I write about this in the book, he was never diagnosed with a mental health illness. But I'm fairly certain he had he had some of the checklists, you know, I don't know what it was, bipolar or whatever you want to call it. But he indicate he had some mannerisms at, a, at that 13, 14, 15 that I used to tell my wife, you know, he, he's trailing his peer group. It seems like he's not keeping up emotionally with his peer group. We would be playing basketball games and he would turn the ball over and cry. And the other kids didn't do that. And so but he was prescribed Adderall and, and that was really the beginning of the end at, at 15 when he started dabbling in that. But I guess I want to throw that out there more on what is going on with society, guys. We know more about all this stuff than we've ever known before, but even adults are the most miserable, the most unhappy they've ever been. What gives? What do you guys think is the problem? That What's the issue with society today? Why are we struggling so much? You know, Jeff, I, I think, you, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I never talk to a, a family and I always tell people I'm a parent. I'm not an addictionologist. I, right. I've unfortunately lost two sons to drug overdoses. But there's a, there's definitely a connection between uh, some sort of underlying mental mental health issue and, and addiction. I, I just don't I think the two go hand in hand. And I think most people that I ever speak to will say, I'm not sure if this is a mental health issue or this is addiction. Right. Okay. And it seems to be, and it, maybe it's proven, I don't know if it's statistics that with boys uh, like our sons, uh, uh, it, it is addiction. It's not, it, and it's not slanted towards mental health where with, with girls, typically it's more slanted towards mental health. Um, but, but regardless, there is a connection between the two. And I'm, I debate anybody on it, even a professional, that everybody I speak to, there has to be some sort of mental health issue that's going on and that's underlying uh, uh, a problem that's causing you to turn towards drugs or alcohol to solve a problem. Hey, Steve, we had a question from uh, my my one of my great friend families, and that's the Renners. They were through thick and thin with Seth and they were, Brock's actually my business partner at Premier Investments of Iowa. But that's a great question, Lori. Steve, these kids that are getting help, are their parents divorced or going through a divorce at the time? To tell you the truth, the, the vast majority of everyone I speak to is usually the mother, okay? And it's usually there's a house divided, okay? I had a house divided. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very rarely there are people, Lori, on the same page on this issue. And, and, and then literally I've been on the phone with people on a three-way phone call between the husband, the wife, and, and me. And we're talking about their son or daughter. And uh, unfortunately, the, the, the mother, of course, is very nurturing. 
um, and and uh, and the father is worrying about what well what is this going to cost? You know, every you know, is it going to be eight thousand dollars a month, three thousand, twenty thousand? You know, what is, what is this going to cost to take care of this issue? Yeah, and I hate to put it that way, but many times it is that conversation. You know, it's funny. I I, I go to these meetings um, and I'm the only male in the room typically because <laughs> uh, yeah. social services are typically uh, run by, by women and, uh, and that's okay. And, um, but, but most of the people that are passionate about this are, 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 are the mothers. And, uh, and, and I, I, I overwhelmingly when I do go, like I said, when I do go to a meeting, it, it is, uh, but, but I don't think, you know, um, I had a lady that called me after the Wall Street Journal article because she alluded, she thought I meant that people who are going through divorce have more problems with their kids with, with alcohol and drugs. And I didn't mean that at all. Um, um, it, 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 there's no truth to that. But, but it is, it is uh, very common that I've found that there's a house divided on how to, how to handle it. Yeah. It, thanks for the answer, Steve. Thanks for the question, Lori. And if anyone else there has questions, I mean, this is the time to ask. I mean, you're, you're not going to have uh, a panel like this. Um, unfortunately, um, we do have experience in certain areas. Hey, Daniel, I was going to ask you, you and I have talked a lot. Yeah. And I, I don't, I'm not putting you on the spot, but you know what? I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can get away with this with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Here we go. <laughs> But you and I have talked a lot about, and you've divulged some things in your past. And uh -huh. did you grow up in a family that you were sheltered from these things? Or did you have things in your family that you wanted to rebel against? Or I guess your experiences or experimentation in certain things, um, you don't have to be specific, but where did that come from? Curiosity or were you running from something? I think I, think I was, so I grew up in a pretty religious household. Mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, having having that kind of upbringing and always wanting to fit in uh, made me always feel like an outsider, made me always feel like I, I needed to, to feel more like the group. And so, uh, you know, I can remember the first time that I had a beer, man, I felt so comfortable, so at ease, so like everybody else at the table. And of course, I was very young and um and, and, and was actually uh, just, just, I just remember that feeling. And, and I, I love that feeling of feeling like I was one of the guys, you might say. And, and, and then, uh, you know, that's, that's where it kind of started for me is just, just kind of uh, this kind of social anxiety mm -hmm. of not feeling like I fit in and then having this ability to fit in. Uh, that's what attracted me to, to, to that, that type of feeling. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so when you, I, I know I, I stopped drinking alcohol on December 24, 2017. I had a pretty good reason, a number of reasons to quit. And as it turned out, it was one of the easiest things I've ever done in my life. And I was an alcoholic all the way up to the moment I stopped drinking. I've been mm -hmm. probably drinking since fifth grade. Um, and that's not a joke. I mean, we drank all the way through high school and college. And I was fortunately uh, never did drugs. I, I knew with my ADD that if I did drugs, I would be dead instantaneously because I would want to do all the drugs, not just one line. I would want to do the whole bag. Yeah. Um, and I realized that that wasn't going to work with someone with ADD. So but I'm going back to why I quit. 
what was your why? And I know you, um, you and I've talked about this before, but you know, was there, was there a why or a moment that you just decided, Hey, I'm kind of done with this stuff. There, there was, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I guess everybody's story is a little different and, and what works for people is different. And so right. I would never want to say this is the way that it works for everyone or this is what I would recommend or anything like that. But for me, it was more about being empowered than it was at being at the mercy of an addiction. In other words, I wanted to say, hey, at the end of the day, it is my choice to to yeah. escape or to deal with the realities of, of life. And, 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 and at a, I, I actually just made the decision myself that I, I actually, I had somebody talk to me and say the right things at the right time. And I felt empowered to, to say, I do have a choice. And, and that's what worked for me. Um, that being said, I, you know, I, again, I wouldn't want to say that that would be for, for everyone. And, and my right. path is a little different than, than some others. And Steve, you said to me many times that uh, there's no template for this stuff. You know, you just make up stuff as you go, but you got to find what works for you. When you talk to adolescents and kids, you know, what, what do you find are, are successful strategies that they can, they can use to, um, let's say they've already started, you know, to get them to stop? Uh you know, I'm I'm not sure I, I, you know, I really know about that as much as I encourage parents to continue to communicate uh, with their kids. So so it, 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 it always became fascinating to me. And I realized in hindsight when Christopher would say, Dad, have you ever tried bourbon? And I'd say, uh, yeah, I've, I've drank bourbon. And that was 14, 15 years old. And and. Uh, it, it all of a sudden dawned on me. The reason he was asking me that uh, if I've tried bourbon or I tried scotch or I tried this and that is because he just tried it. Yeah. You know? And and yeah. it just never it never really dawned on me that that was why he was asking the question. And I think that kids in general, uh, one, they want to be loved and they want to be told that they're loved and understood that they're loved. And I think that they 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 want discipline and. And uh, they they yearn discipline actually, and I, I think that uh, I always tell parents at the end of the day that uh, that uh, everyone always says, "Well, Steve, how do you know when your son or daughter uh, really has an addiction issue?" I mean, that's usually where the tires hit the road, and mm -hmm. and 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 I always say when when you when they start making decisions that are being controlled by uh, drugs or alcohol. Um, right, that right. Their decisions are being made by drugs or alcohol. Uh, they they don't show up at school on time. They don't go to work. They they miss in practice. Uh, those things that they normally don't do. You know, uh, when a mother or father calls me, and it's typically again a mother, and says, "Well, I found marijuana in my son's pocket when I was cleaning out his jeans to put him in the in the in the washing machine." That, that in and of itself, yeah, you should certainly jump on that right away and say, hey, that's that ain't right. You know, and we're not going to stand yeah. for that. That doesn't yeah. mean you're addicted to marijuana. Right. Uh, or you're heading down that road. Uh, so so uh, I think as, uh, I, I always stress some very open communication. And, and, and that was very common in my household. And, and, it, and it obviously um, it still didn't work. Um, 
we were, we had very open conversations about about things like that. Yeah, so I'm gonna we're almost halfway through. I was gonna throw it out there. Does anyone have any questions? Um, make sure you throw it in the comment section. I'd, I'd love to hear some questions if people have some. Um, and it, I, let me. You can ask Daniel any kind of HVAC question too. Easy, <laughs> on the spot. Hey, let's um, let's. I'm gonna throw out another another different thing for you, real quick here. Um, what's your thoughts on the role of social media on adolescents and kids today? And and I can't see it getting better. So we better learn how it works with our kids. And a quick story I'll tell you, Steve, I think I told you this the other day was um, I was on the ASAC board of directors meeting. We were having the area substance abuse council and somebody was sharing a story in the state of Kentucky. Now this is going to shock a lot of parents out there because they think with COVID their kids are sitting in their bedrooms, protected, insulated from the evils of drug, drug abuse. And the reality is, these kids, these these were, I think, 14 or 15-year-olds. They were on Snapchat. Now, Snapchat is pretty harmless, as far as I know. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not that bad a social media platform. These kids were tricked by drug dealers to join certain rooms, and they were ordering Xanax and having it delivered to a friend's house where their parents weren't there. So mom and dad did not know the kids were on their computer. And the Xanax had fentanyl in it, Steve, and four kids died in one community. I think they were 14 or 15 from Xanax laced with fentanyl when their kid, their parents thought the kids were at home safe and they were on social media. So I'll throw that out there. What's your guys' thoughts on, on that? And what do we do as parents? How, how do we allow kids to be on social media? And then what do we do to, to help them make better choices? You know, I, I, I know Daniel has young, young children or at least, uh, you know, adolescent children. And um, I, I'm curious to hear how he approaches that. Uh, my, my children were sort of, the internet was sort of a little bit ahead of their time, but they did, they, they were on the edge of that. You know, this part of the chapter in my book about the shock I had when I found out my son was ordering urine off the internet. Yeah, I remember you uh, telling me that. In preparation for a uh, uh, the future drug screen that his friends said your dad's going to eventually do on you, so you better have some fake urine up in your bedroom. And you talk about the shock of of of, of learning that my son bought urine on the internet. Um, that, mm -hmm. that, and I thought this is two thousand. This is two thousand and three, probably two thousand two. Um, that 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 uh, that he did that. So. Um, I don't, I don't know, Danny, you tell me, uh, how you, how you handle your kids with the, uh, with the internet. I'm going to put you on the spot here with that. It's an easy, easy question. Average dude. Yeah, yeah. This is that softball you're talking about, right? Yeah, thank, thanks right, so yeah. much. Yeah. Well, you know, I, my, my strategy, whether it, uh, works or, or doesn't, we'll find out, but my son lives with me. He's 15 years old and it's to be extremely honest and transparent in my own life things that are I'm struggling with. I don't try to be an adult with him. I try to be myself with him and I try to communicate with him and, and, and make it easy for him to, to, to communicate with me. Um, and, you know, and then, and then use my own kind of uh, intuition and my own experience to keep my ear to the ground and to look for signs and not let him fool himself and not let him fool me at the same time. Right. So, and, and, and do the best that I can with that. You know, I, I was thinking as you guys were talking, I love uh, 
I love watching animal shows, documentaries and things like this about animals. And I just think mm -hmm. we've learned a lot from them. But on the History Channel, there was uh, the story of us, the story of humans. And the first episode, you know, the, the, the story of us is it was all about survival. And now survival, it's, it's about being extraordinary and not surviving, right? And so there's this extra level of consternation that's, that's on all of us. To, to live up to this some, you know, it's not about survival. It's about something else. And it's this pressure to, to live up to that kind of label and these words that have no real power. That's really the reason I think I call myself the average dude is it doesn't matter if I call myself the average dude or if I call myself this or that. At the end of the day, what are you going to do on a daily basis to improve your life or to move the ball forward? And we get caught up in these labels and then social media, to your point where, where this came from, is there's a lot of pressure to, to become uh, the, these definitions that social media seems to create, these ideals of, of yeah. what a successful life is. And, and that, of course, I, in, my, in my mind, you know, once life becomes this difficult, they turn to something else. And then once you turn to that and, and the, the pain of life is greater than the pain that's caused from whatever this addiction is, Yep. Then, then that's the the losing formula, and we we just keep it's like it's on a loop at that point. And you know they have a they have a term for that, and I know you you I know you're aware of it, but imposter syndrome is is something that the kids are having a very difficult time right now, and it's it can be twofold. It can be that you're not giving yourself as much credit, or you're jealous of somebody else that's doing very well. And you know, if you look at social media, it's and adults go through this too. I mean, I. I, I do this myself when I see someone doing a nonprofit and they're doing it better than me. I'm like, man, it, I must be a loser. You know, I, I should be, I should be raising a million dollars like Steve Grant and, uh, but I'm not. And it's like, but that same envy and that envy or that jealousy is the impetus for all these things I'm doing. So I've been able to just take that through meditation, Daniel, and you and I've talked about this at length yeah. using the, using the awareness of my thoughts. And instead of saying, wow, you know, Steve Grant's raised a million dollars. I can never do that. I want to get to a million and one and then send a picture of that to Steve. And then Steve's, <laughs> <laughs> but by then he'll be at 2 million. So I'll never catch him. But, um, no, you know, no, what? Be. I'm going to, I'm going to hand Kristen Kelly's hope off to you one day here very soon. I got it, brother. Um, I got it. I'll, I'll take I'm, it and run. Get ready. My wife's in the background. She's already, she's raising her hands up. Hooray. You, you um, know, I'll, you know, I do that you for know, you, brother. There's a balancing act to, yeah. to the social media thing. And, uh, you know, you want to, uh, I think how your children learn is they, they touch the flame on the stove and they find out it's hot and, uh, you put your toe in the water a little bit and, uh, you know, you hope you survive. Um, and, or you take the other approach, which I think is probably inaccurate where you just so you, you shut it all down, you know, and you, you almost create curiosity by shutting down uh, this Good for your point. kids entirely. And so it's a, it's a balancing act. And I, uh, to tell you the truth, I, uh, I love my children, uh, but I, I don't envy parents that are in this world today that are challenged by social media and, and what's out there. Um, Cause it's, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. Uh, today there was an article in the Greenville news um, our local paper, our local news, it says every drug out there is laced with something and yeah. the kids have got to be careful about it, you know, and uh, it was this, uh, it was one of their little pieces on, on addiction, but um, 
you were just talking about the, the four kids, you know, and and uh, a, a, a drug being a, a laced by with fentanyl, and that's just a, that's just a tragedy that there are people out there that that are are doing that, fully knowing that that someone's going to die because of their actions. And and I get that too. I there was a part of me that really wanted to go after the drug dealer, you know, after after Seth died, and like go after the heroin industry. And I said, you know what? I, I, it's like the war on drugs. I mean, I'm one person. The war on drugs has failed. How in the hell am I going to make a dent? But I right. can, but I can talk to the kids. Yeah. I can, I can, I, I'm not going to probably help that 35 year old alcoholic that's fallen off the wagon seven times. I'm not sure that's Jeff Johnston's calling, but I think I can get to the kid before it's a habit, get to the seventh, the eighth, the ninth grader, and get to them so I don't have to put him in rehab. We can do it, you know, prehab, prehabituation before it becomes a habit. That I think is where I, my sweet spot in my life is where I want to kind of gravitate to and spend my time not chasing the heroin dealer or chasing the alcoholic mom or dad, but I want to spend my time with the kids because like I told Ian, and you guys know this about his bunker story in my book, you know, Ian's a college golfer. And when he was a kid, he was struggling with sand traps. And I'm sure tomorrow, Steve, you're going to be in a couple sand traps. So here's my advice I'll give you. No, no, it's going to be captain's I, I, choice. Um, if I'm in a sand trap, I'm going to kick my ball into, you know, into the fairway. So, I don't blame you. My dad's, eight, my dad's 87 and he used to say, well, I paid 50 bucks. I can do whatever the hell I want on the golf course. <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, so going back to golf. So I asked Ian one time when he was 12, I said, you know, Ian, what's the best way to become a sand trap player? And he's like, you know, well, dad, I'm going to trick you. You know, you got to hit your 58 degree wedge. You got to hit an inch behind the ball. You got to swing as hard as you can. I said, no, Ian, the best way to be the greatest sand trap player is don't go in the sand trap in the first place. Yeah. And we took that story and Ian was interviewed by a, a radio a TV station down in St. Louis the, the weekend that he won his AJGA tournament. And they asked him, what advice would you give kids? And I about, I mean, I, I lost it because I didn't tell Ian to say this. He goes, the best way to quit drugs and alcohol is never to start. And I'm like, I did something right as a dad. <laughs> you know, yeah. I felt like I had a home run. But that, 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 that idea is so true. I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to go to rehab if you develop habits before that that you don't go down those roads, you know, it's about choices. And I think as parents in a society, if we're going to save anybody, we got to start with the kids. Yeah. And I think uh, those are the audiences that I struggle with the most. So I'm, I'm glad that, uh, and, and I, you know, if you can help one person that's in that audience, then, then you're doing a, uh, a great service. Again, the, the problem is it's about peer pressure. It's about all those things that, um, you know, today we, you know, the old saying was you got to sink low to come back and get better. Yeah. Uh, and today low is not a, is, is not a very low spot anymore. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very dangerous spot and you, and you, that philosophy of sinking to the bottom. Um, I'm not sure I, I don't, well, I don't agree with it today because don't sink, you don't have to do very much to sink to the bottom. There are innocent, there are people that are trying a drug for the first time in their life and they right. never drank, they've never done anything. And, uh, and, and they wake and their parents get a bad, get a bad call that day, that night um, that, you know, that their son or daughter's not coming home. Yeah. I mean, we're old enough to remember Len Bias and that was such an anomaly. 
But yeah. now that's that's every day. There's a Len bias all over the country. I mean, first time, you know, recreational. They're not addicts at all. I mean, Seth was not a heroin addict. I mean, uh, based on what they they discovered on his arm, he'd been dabbling for a few a few days, maybe. So he yeah. he was an addict, just not a heroin addict. And yeah. you know, I'm not going to say that you know heroin should have labels on it, but I mean, if if uh, if there was a way that he knew it was laced with fentanyl, I'm pretty certain he wouldn't have tried it. You know. Um, so that's a whole nother topic that we're not going to be able to solve tonight. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think for me getting kind of away from the addiction and all that, but it's it's the mental health with kids. It's like, you know, why are our kids having so many problems? And COVID is definitely I mean, the numbers are through the roof. I think I think, Steve, you and I were talking the year over year out alcohol sales, online alcohol sales from March to March were like 65 percent up. And, you know, these are mostly adults. And if kids are struggling with these things and coming home and their parents are drunk, you know, man, it's just, it's going to be a tough world for them to deal with their problems. If mom and dad are getting drunk every night, you know, it starts at home. Don't you guys think? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you look at uh, people that in jail, nine out of 10 are, are, it's, it's some kind of, it's some kind of drug related issue uh, that's uh, that creates family discord and um, it, it, that's, that's where it starts. And, uh, um, you know, that's, you know, I, I don't know your feeling on in, in Iowa about the legalization of marijuana um, and where people stand on it. Uh, I think South Carolina is going to certainly go that way uh, one day. It's, it's economically too big an issue. Uh, I think we'll go down kicking and screaming. But the issue, again, is going to be uh, just like alcohol, just like cigarettes. Uh, getting in the hands of uh, of underage of people underage, and yeah. and that's where that's where the the problem is going to be created again. And it's interesting you brought that up because I do, I do want to uh, with fifteen minutes or so left I do want to throw that out there. Um, you know I think when Seth died, my initial reaction was you know anti this anti that you know anger and hatred. Then I thought you know going back to my stoicism, Daniel, I, I reframed the quest. I reframed things in my mind and you know, this, this, this war on drugs and alcohol and all these things, you know, the, you know, they call them the sins, you know, we, we make everything illegal and there's more of these things going on as, as they're legal. And I'm not saying that making them legal that we wouldn't have issues, but it seems to me that I think the way that we handle this as parents is just because something is legal, doesn't mean you have to do it. So we spend so much time talking about legal or not, like you have to do it or you don't have to do it. I call BS on that. I don't care if they legalize it. I really don't. I will tell you right now, the people I talk to, the kids I talk to, I'm going to tell them that all the time. Just because it's legal doesn't mean you have to do it. Alcohol has been legal for a long time. And look at the, the wreck on society it's caused more than marijuana ever will and ever, ha ever could. And again, just because you're 21, you don't have to go out and get drunk. So I think it comes down to us kind of agreeing with our kids. I used to fight Seth all the time. You know, pot was a scourge. It was the worst thing. But now I'm like, I'm not telling Ian and Roman that, you know, I'm not telling him that. Um, I'm telling him simply this. The day is coming where these things are going to be legal. We can debate. We can debate the merits all we want. You're going to have to make a choice someday whether you want to smoke it or not. And I'm not going to be there. You're absolutely right. And. And I agree with you. And I, I, I don't get involved in the politics of, of things. Right. I, I abhor politics. And, and whether or not marijuana becomes legal or not, uh, Steve Grant is, is fine either way. 
-hmm. how it happens. Um, but I do when I speak to young people and I speak to parents, it's it's like the it's like you've forgotten that 21 is the drinking age. Yeah, you know you're actually breaking the law, right? <laughs> Good point. Um, Good point. And you, no one ever that that subject unless I brought it up never comes up. Hmm. You know, it never comes up. It's like you know if you were robbing banks, you know, and and uh, you know you know it's illegal to rob banks, but uh, no one seems to understand that or dwell on the fact that. Um, your son, yeah, he's got an alcohol problem, or your daughter's got an alcohol problem. They're 17 or 18 years old. They're, well, they're three years away from, from the legal drinking age, uh, right. and they've already got a problem with it. So it, yeah. it, it is kind of interesting that we kind of gotten away from, you know, what is legally correct. Yeah, legally doesn't mean you should do it. I mean, that's, I yeah. think that's, that's the stigma that I think we really have to break with the kids. And, you know, Pot's coming, whether you agree or not, it, it's coming and oh, yeah. it's, it's going to be legal. And I was in, I was in Colorado the other day and, you know, it, you, you could get pot pretty much everywhere. And again, I go back to that, that saying, it, just because it's legal doesn't mean you have to do it. And I think. Yeah, um, I remember the first time I drank a beer, I, my dad was dropping me off at a, at a party uh, for a baseball team I was on one summer and uh, the car that pulled up in front of us happened to be one of the one of the kids, and they were pulling out a case of beer. And I looked at my dad, and he looked at me, and he shook his head, and I shook my head at him, you know. And and we kind of kind of agreed to disagree. We didn't we didn't even say anything to each other, you know. But I knew that he was he was saying that and, and that he disagreed. This this, and I always knew that it was wrong to drink before a certain age. Yeah, I would like to have, if anyone has a question in the last five minutes or so here, um, fire it away because um, I, I would uh, I'm certainly like to have a, a, a conversation with someone that has a question. But, you know, I you know, Daniel, um, we talk about meditation a lot. And, and in my book, I have a chapter called Meditation. And I know for me with ADD, meditation has been a really great thing in, in helping me deal with my uh, my pull towards addictions. Um, in my book, I talk about the fact I was addicted to gambling. I was an alcoholic. Um, and I learned to, uh, I, I say trick my brain, I guess, you know, for lack of a better word or phrase, trick my brain to not play the narratives that most people play. Like, woe is me. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I'm sober. You know, just I'm an addict. It's like, yeah, I, I just took kind of those words out of my vocabulary. And um, what's your thoughts on that? I know, I know you meditate. And we've talked about it at length, but what's your thoughts on meditation as a coping mechanism, not just for kids, but for adults that are having problems? Yeah, well, I, I think, as you know, I think it's just such a big deal to become aware of those thoughts, any type of thoughts. If we're just aware that they're happening and don't struggle with them. And I think that for me, this is what meditation is about, not struggling against these thoughts, knowing that they're there and then making the decision to uh, respond to those thoughts in the most effective way. And, and for a very long time, I responded very quickly to those thoughts. I would, I would fight against them. I would think something was broken. I would panic. I'd go into a panic mode and, and, and make uh, impulsive decisions. And so now, you know, with meditation, it's more about observing the thoughts. And I, I think often and, and journal often and, and draw often about keeping, keeping my head above thoughts. So sometimes it feels like thoughts are rising water. And, right. and as the water comes up, I have to, 
you know, uh, figuratively and literally kind of hold my head high, hold my head above that thought. And, and I know it, it sounds, even as I'm saying, it's hard to communicate that. But for me and, and the way that, that I deal with, as those thoughts come up, I, I, I kind of visualize those thoughts as water. And you've got to keep your head above the water because it's just thoughts. And then eventually those, those waters will uh, come down and, and, and you'll, you'll be able to stand normally. But knowing that they will recede and knowing that you're not going to drown, you just got to kind of keep your head up and, and they will go away. So I know. Uh, go ahead. I just, I just kind of, I call that kind of riding the wave. And, and it's something, it's one of my kind of go-to visualizations and uh, that, that coupled with just riding out. Jeff, you were talking about earlier, and I think it's, it is human nature. All these things are human nature. I mean, you know, so the responses to, to them are what really differentiate, differentiate people and, and the success that they have in it. We all have these same insecurities, this feeling of not fitting in, all of those things that we struggle with and how we respond to them and whether it motivates us or sends us down a dark path, that's, that's really the, that's where, that's where the choices comes in. It's funny you say that because I know we spend a society so much time on choice versus disease and, and people argue and they, they get upset. It's, it's the same argument with, you know, God and, and atheism. It's like people spend so much time arguing. And I, I simply ask people, if you individually are struggling with sobriety, struggling with drinking, struggling with whatever addiction you have, uh-huh. And you and you 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 believe that it's a disease. Maybe it is a disease. Maybe you are just you were born. Your grandparents, your parents were alcoholics. I mean, you just you know at midnight you're going to be a werewolf. You don't have any choice. That's that's what's going to happen. And you're struggling. You keep falling off the wagon. All I ask is why not you try a different approach? Why not trick your brain like I did and just tell yourself this isn't a disease. I have a choice. And Daniel, you said the best thing I've ever heard. You said you're on the couch, there's beer in the fridge. And mm-hmm. an addict thinks, well, my one choice is not to have that drink. And you're like, no, there's a hundred choices. You choose to stand up. You choose to walk to the fridge. You choose to open the door. You choose to pop the bottle. You choose to pour it in a glass. You choose to, you choose to put it to your mouth. You choose one drink. You choose two drinks. You choose one beer. So it's not just disease and choice. It's a number of separate choices, but there's no question that a biological gene can activate the addiction. And I don't think I want to spend time arguing people with that. All I'm saying is that we could spend a lot of time validating your own belief. Maybe it is a disease, but if you're still having problems, you're going to have to find some other way to deal with this. Yeah, you know, Jeff, I think that one of the, one of the issues I, when I always, uh, when I always uh, write someone a note or a personal note, that is celebrating six months of sobriety or a year of sobriety or two years of sobriety. Um, I, I, I never have heard anybody get insulted by my comment. And my comment is typically, hey, uh, congratulations. Uh, every day is a battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you happen to stumble, get back on the horse. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of people that actually stumble. Yeah. Um, and and they take it very, very hard that they stumbled. But, you know, um, I think getting back on the horse is where where it has to happen. And and uh, there's nothing wrong. I always tell parents when they're when their uh, darlings are at rehab for the first time, 
you have to plan for uh, you have to plan for them stumbling. You have right. to plan for relapse. And and all parents always go, "What are you talking about, Steve? Relapse?" I said, "Oh yeah, absolutely relapse. Uh, most people don't become uh, become sober uh, until they've gone through sobriety six or seven times." Yeah. Um, and and you have, especially if you started at 14 years old, uh, and you're an adult and you're you're still trying, um, you have to plan for relapse. And there's nothing wrong with having a relapse. Um, but but it's 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 long it's wrong if you can't con- you have to continuous continuous you got to get back on the horse and try again. Yeah, and the wrong thing the wrong approach, guys, is to beat yourself up and and let's say you have a streak of two years going and somehow you 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 have a weak moment and you have a drink. You know what? That's one of the reasons why I stopped keeping score, guys. Is I just didn't want to put that pressure on me. If I had a drink as an alcoholic, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna torture myself with with um. You know, I, I that's just how I had to play the game. And I know that I do. You know, the, ten, the, the tendency is to that we're, we you are taught. We are taught to beat ourselves up over that. Right. Right. And, right. and that's and that's and not that unfortunately is inaccurate. You know, I, I really um, you know, you can beat yourself up for, briefly over it. Yeah. Uh, but but I think that you've got to continue. And that's the only way you're ultimately going to succeed. Hey, any last, any last second uh, words of wisdom, uh, Daniel? I'll have you go first. Um, what would you say for a words of wisdom on the topic that we had tonight? Wow! Can you let Steve go first? I'm sure he's got more. <laughs> words of I've never seen you a loss for words, Daniel. Steve, yeah. what's what's your thoughts? I'll, I'll go first. My, my, my first, first impression was Trevor Lawrence got picked number one, <laughs> which we know he was I, going to. That's I'm what you're Steve's eyes go. Yeah, but Jeff Johnston, Jeff Johnston is my number one pick. Oh, so, thank you. I appreciate uh, and that. I, and I really appreciate what he's done and what he's doing and what he continues to because I I, I look to people to continue to uh, carry the torch because this is not – this is I'm not sure this is a war that's ever going to be won, but it's going to be a war that um, hopefully you can mitigate over time. Well, you can rest assured, I got I got Chris and Kelly on on one shoulder and Seth on the other. Well, I appreciate that, I appreciate Daniel. What do you think? No, I I thought this this has been fun. This is my first time doing something like this a live uh, a live feed, and and I thought you did a great job with it, Jeff. And and I was happy to be a part of it and listen in and uh, contribute where I could. So I, I appreciate. I'll take some credit, but Molly Nordlock and is behind the curtain. You guys both know I don't I, I don't do anything without Molly around. So she yeah. she's done it all. So I am so grateful to have her in my life. And I well, Molly quite honestly was, Molly I don't was write tired the book for me today. For and sure. She's tired of hearing from me every day, Steve. <laughs> every day. Um well listen, thanks a lot, guys. I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna have you guys jump off stage and get Kenny and Sam on here. Uh, but have a great night. And again, keep living undeterred, guys. I love you guys. All right. You thanks, too, Jeff. Thank you, you, man. I will talk See to you soon. See you, Steve. You bet, brother. Daniel, you bet. You soon. <laughs> All right. All right, buddy. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. So I think what I'll do is spend a minute or so just talking about the, the intermission here. Um, if you need to take a break, whatever. Obviously, I can't. But uh, next, we have uh, Kenyon Murray and Sam Gary. And I'm super excited about these guys. But before I did that, I wanted to remind you, or at least um, let you know, that uh, Saturday, May 15th, is the first annual Living Undeterred Charity Golf Classic, and it benefits the Choices Network, which is my nonprofit. We still have room. 
Um, believe it or not, we have a tremendous amount of sponsorship, which is awesome, but we do need some more golfers. So again, this is um, Saturday, May 15th at Airport National Golf Course. We're looking for volunteers. So if you don't golf, feel free to call my, or reach a hold of us and we'll get you out there on the course to help volunteer. And we need um, golfers. Uh, I think we have 14 or 15 foursomes right now, which is awesome, but I'd like to get to 20. If you're a single or a double and you're looking to be paired up, just submit your name to us and we'll take care of the rest. But again, very much appreciate everybody's support. Uh, uh, the contributions we have have been absolutely uh, unbelievable. Some personal contributions that have been made that have been um, quite inspiring to me. So with that, I did want to uh, mention that the, uh, the the tournaments on May 15th. The other thing I want to say is that in the, sometime this summer, I'm going to be launching my audio book on This One's For You. I've been in the studio working on it. Uh, have a surprise ending for those of you that read the book. Uh, I have, do have a, a neat little passionate surprise at the end. But the audiobook was something I was very interested in doing. I didn't want another author to read my words. This is my story. And I wanted it to come from me. So that's going to be out sometime this summer. So again, the book is available on Amazon or through our website, the www.livingundeterred.com. So with that, uh, let's talk about our next guests. And I'm awesome. It's awesome. I'm tired. Not awesomely excited. I'm super excited. Kenyon Murray and Sam Gary. Uh, what do I say? Sam's been uh, a recent friend of mine. Uh, I met Sam through the AJGA Junior Golf Program with Ian. Sam is a freaking rock star. Um, he's one of the youngest kids I've ever met in my life to come out with suicidal ideation. And not just come out with it, but just kick it in the face. And right behind him, you can see his nonprofit is called Kick It for a change. And he's going to talk about that tonight too. And we absolutely, I'm honored to have Sam as a, as a part of my book. And, you know, Sam, um, many times in life, we look at older people as our heroes. And I do have some, you met a couple today already, but uh, Sam, you are definitely a hero of mine, man. I, I respect what you're doing. And tonight you're going to be adding a little bit of perspective in regards to mental health for adolescents. And then Kenyon, what do I say, man? You and I have been friends forever. Uh, my dad was the team doctor for the Iowa basketball team. I was right there when you were recruited. I was there when uh, your best friend, Chris Street, died tragically in a car accident. And your one of your sons, one of your twins is named after Chris. Uh, I'd like to have you talk about that day and kind of how that got you to do what you're doing. You're a, you're a civic person. You give back to the community. And you just happen to have some talented kids that are pretty good at sports. So we're going to talk about sports and how that can mirror life. And let's talk about uh, issues that kids have. So with that, um, which one of you guys wants to go first? Uh, let, let the young guy go. How are you, Sam? All right. So uh, so like Jeff mentioned, my name is Sam Gary. Um, and and uh, Jeff and myself, uh, Jeff, myself, and Ian uh, met, like you mentioned, through the American Junior Golf Association through, uh, through Leadership Links a few years ago. Uh, when we were both um, announced as uh, as finalists for the Jerry Cole Sportsmanship Award, and um, and was super happy to see that that Ian was able to um, to win that. Um, both of our stories, uh, we re really bonded through both of our stories. Mine being um, that I came out with my experiences with uh, depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation, and uh, obviously uh, the Johnson family with uh, with Seth. Um, as far as my own story goes, um, back in eighth grade, uh, 
I was first diagnosed with depression, didn't quite know what it was, um, you know, from the jump. But uh, unfortunately, as time went on, I tried to let things simmer without going to therapy or reaching out for help. And it, it just didn't work. And it, it ended up turning into um, pretty, pretty serious suicidal thoughts that lasted uh, while I was making my transition from middle school to high school, which, which was not easy to deal with. Um, since then, uh, like I said, through the Leadership Links program, I've, I've been given really special opportunities with uh, Golf Digest and the Golf Channel, um, obviously getting to work with Jeff um, and, and living undeterred in the Choices Network. Um, and I've also co-founded my own prof a nonprofit with a buddy of mine from, from high school uh, called Kick It, um, which is a, a charity kickball tournament turned uh, nonprofit where, um, where we still hold the uh, kickball tournament every year. We're actually, uh, we're actually dated to or set to hold it on, on June 26th uh, this year. Um, but we also started a, a scholarship supporting students at Woodward Memorial High School, uh, which mm -hmm. is where I went to high school. Um, and also looking into legislative work in, in Massachusetts. So, um, so it's a ton of fun, but, but definitely a lot to take on as a 19 year old in college. Man, I love you, bud. I, you're a rock star. I'm, I'm just so, I'm just so honored to have you as a friend. Um, and thanks for being a role model to Ian too. Um, Kenyon, where do I start with you, man? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, we got, we go way back. I think, uh, more than anything, we're, we're family. Um, our, our, our boys, have been best friends since they were five years old. And I think that's, that's unique in itself. Um, but for me, you know, uh, being on this journey with you, seeing what you've gone through and, and what you've had to deal with, you know, for me to be able to help spread, um, spread your word, you know, and, and, and try and help the community the way through you, through your organization. Um, for me, it's something that obviously I could never say no to. And, and, you know, for me, I know I, I haven't dealt with something maybe as tragic. Uh, I did mm -hmm. lose my best friend in college, but uh, for me, it's just how can we help the next generation, um, whether it's dealing with addiction, mental health. Um, there's a lot of things that I believe our kids have to deal with that we didn't. And so any way, shape or form that I can help you spread this, help Sam and uh, his cause, uh, I'm down for it. So I'm just happy to be here. Well, I'm, I'm happy you said that, Kenyon, because I think when I am so active in, in meeting people that have been through trauma or tragedy or what have you, that there's a tendency to think that one is like more or more tragic than the next or somebody's issue is, is like there's a hierarchy of pain. That that's not true. Um, you look at Steve Grant. I mean, he lost he lost two sons. You know, Sam is considered you know suicidal ideation. Those are all serious things. Um, you know, I I will be honest with you. I very rarely have ever said this publicly, but when Seth died, I I considered suicide as well, but not to the level that that Sam did, where he literally had, had discussed planning it out. I didn't get that far, but to me, it wasn't planning it. I just wanted to end. I didn't want to deal with what I went through. I mean. I, you know, just, you, you can't explain. And, and Kenyon, you were there when your best friend died in a car accident, you know? And so here's three of us here. We've all had very tragic things happen, but none of these are better or worse than the other one. They're just part of our story. And Kenyon, you've embraced Chris's memory by naming your son, Chris, and you partake in the golf outing every year. And Mike and Patty have become great friends to you. And I've had a chance now to meet them. Sam, you've embraced you know, what could have been the, the obviously the worst decision you ever made 
Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, millions of people globally are making this decision every year and that's to end their life. And you have this, this, you know, desire to get people to look at, Hey, let's make it one more day. You know, I may not solve your problem, but let's get to tomorrow. You know, I, I've been, I've been down hell. I I'm going on what five, what five years that Seth's died since in October 4th of this year. I'm not going to lie to you that every day I'm living undeterred and I'm this rock star. I'm not, I have, I have horrible moments. I can't even explain, but I know there's a tomorrow, you know, and having that hope is what gets you through, you know? Absolutely. I, I think when you say there, there is a tomorrow, it's, it's how we embrace it. But I think when we, when we have struggles like that, or we deal with certain tragedies, you know, the, the people that we surround ourselves with in that moment can uh, either, like you say, you know, you can go down or you can go up. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, both of you, like just looking at how you guys have supported each other, you, you have someone that allows you to think past maybe that moment of despair or darkness, because you know, there's someone out there that believes in you. There's someone out there that wants to help you make an impact on the world. And so who we surround ourselves with um, during our good times and our bad times, I think those are some of the things that help us pull through. Some of those are the things that help us help us like, you know, grab our bootstraps and, and get up mm -hmm. and, and make it another day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and another thing that I, I really loved that um, you touched on, Jeff, was this notion of like comparing our experiences. Um, in my opinion, comparing experiences, can, especially those um, maybe on the negative end of the spe spectrum, you know, dealing with uh, with with trauma and such things. Um, comparison is one of the most unfair things we can do to ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, I know. Uh, in my own experience, comparing my suicidal ideation or my psychological disorders with with others has has really beaten me down, and 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 that itself has has put me in some of uh, the lowest situations I've ever been in in my life. Um, so uh, I think I think it's really essential and important to to recognize that everyone's feelings and and emotions are valid, and everyone's experiences are valid. Um, and especially it's, it's important to recognize that during COVID times, um, you know, yeah. for, for the school paper here at, at Bates College in Lewiston, Maine, just a couple of days ago, I was interviewed and asked, you know, oh, uh, you know, what's, what's dealing or how are the, how are the, um, how is the mental health of, um, of seniors in comparison to, uh, to first years like myself, um, uh, with, with everything going on. And, and I said straight up, like, I. I, I won't compare them. I just think it's it's so horribly right. unfair to either uh, to either group um, because obviously seniors are losing out on things with um, they're losing out on traditional uh, graduations, commencements, that sort of thing. Whereas you know the first years are, are struggling to socialize for you know, you know um, with this tremendous transition into the into their um, or in their lives. So um, I, I I really love that you brought that up. You know, I, I just want to let anyone know that's um, watching this. You know, feel free to ask questions. I mean, this 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 is not a lecture. Um, I, I definitely want some interaction, some engagement here. I mean, if we're going to fix these issues, if we're going to make a dent, we need to communicate. So I know there's people listening that want to ask questions. This is the time. I mean, if you can sit back and listen to us talk, but I've already talked to these guys. I mean, I have a podcast with them each for an hour. So, <laughs> but Sam, let me ask you something about imposter syndrome. That's such a big thing right now with social media with kids. I mean, 
you know, you go to sports. I mean, Kenny, and I do this with Ian's golf. You know, I sit there and I'll see a kid that, that went through the high school ranks that maybe wasn't as good as Ian. And now he's playing college somewhere and he's first team all conference. And I'm like, wow, why is Ian not doing that good? Instead of saying, I'm happy for that kid. I'm focusing on why isn't Ian doing that good? And I do that as a dad. Um, and so Sam, I think I'd throw that out to you, you know, with social media, how do you talk to kids, you know, to, to try not to get caught up in comparison and then having this imposter syndrome where they're just not good enough. Their friends are all better than them. Absolutely. I, admittedly, it's, it's far more complicated and challenging than, uh, than I'd like to admit. I think in part because um, when you're talking to them about not comparing themselves to someone else, um, you kind of have to cater it to the individual um, because, you know, for some people it'll be in sports. And that's a lot different than, say, someone who, like myself, who is kind of in like the activism or whatever you want to call it route um, and comparing myself or someone comparing themselves um, to someone else uh, kind of in that space or, say, in school, something like that. They're all very different circumstances that need to be addressed differently. Um, with that being said, uh, I, I'm, I'm not perfect at any of them. Um, I think the one that I've kind of uh, been most accustomed to throughout my time in, especially in junior golf, um, has, has been through sport, especially on social media. Um, I think probably the biggest piece of advice I could give, um, uh, like I said, with sport is, is avoiding social media, um, uh, as much as possible. Obviously yeah. that's much easier said than done, um, especially yeah. with young people. And I feel yeah. like, especially with this, new wave of of so many different organizations and groups like you know the AJGA has an incredible social media um uh aura around them you know whether it be yeah. Instagram or TikTok and sometimes I think that's like a really really bad thing um I, I, I know don't be wrong. I, it's phenomenal but it's like you know I I'm I'm kicking myself every time I see these results it's like oh a kid shot 63 today I'm like Oh my God, I can't, <laughs> like, I am not, uh, like, that, so, uh, especially in my experience for sport, that kind of thing, I think when it comes to, like, say, for example, a thing like schooling, I think um, something needs to be addressed at more, like, the administrative level, like, that comes a lot with school rankings, grades, that kind of stuff, so I think there's, um, there's more that can be addressed there, but when it comes to stuff I'm very familiar with, just avoiding social media as much as possible or, um, or being careful when, when you do decide to use it. So Kenyon, you've coached forever and, and you've seen how this happens now, but you also have three very talented athletic children. <laughs> do they, do they compare themselves to each other? I'm sure they do, but as a dad and as a coach and as a, past athlete, how, how do you navigate that with, when, with social media, like Sam said? I mean, as much great as it is to see how other people are doing, for the kid that's really struggling, that can be a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. I was just I was just thinking as Sam was talking, like, I think comparison is, is just something that it's going to be, regardless of what you look at. Um, I was just thinking about today at work, you know, we talk about you know, tar put giving people different targets, but it's based on their performance from last year in sales, right? So we're always comparing, but I think it's the perspective you have to have. I think it's it, like an athlete, you know, when Chris and Keegan were coming up and they would see all these other players that were ranked ahead of them, it probably bothered me more that I knew yeah. the talent that Chris and Keegan had, yeah. but it bothered me because I felt like other people didn't see that. 
But I think the one thing Chris and Keegan always felt was that if I go out and I do the work, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what some who compares me to what I know that I've gone out and I've done my best. And I think how we as parents really navigate that is by putting a lot of um, uh, we put we put a lot of uh, emphasis on just being the best version of yourself day in and day out. Like, what did you do today to get better? Whether it's it was a, a process on the basketball court. Absolutely. And I think yeah. the one thing that I've tried to do as a dad is show my wife and my kids that, you know, I'm a different person. Than I was three years ago is because one, I knew that I still had room to grow. Mm-hmm. I still had room to get better at things. And so we're never at the end of that, but I think comparison is something that is always going to be there. And I think it's just about having the right perspective um, when you're looking at that, if you're comparing yourself to someone else and, and trying to look at it from a standpoint of I am who I am, they are who they are. And the person that's making the comparison nine times out of 10 doesn't know either one of them. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, uh, we have a great question, Kenyon, from our friend, Bill Maxwell. Um, hey, Bill, how's it going? Shout out to you. Hope everything's going well. Uh, Jeff and Kenyon, did you guide your children with selection of a peer group or did they just gravitate to like energy people? That's an awesome question. Um, and I again, having three kids, I, I can tell you Seth certainly uh, gravitated towards his peer group. And unfortunately, his peer group wasn't a good influence to him. Um, but I will say, though, one thing I write about in the book is um, Seth lacked the leadership skills to say no. And I think he was much more likely to be a like person. I think he could have been some self-esteem issues or whatever, but I think he couldn't say no to people because he had to be part of the group. Whereas Ian and Roman are different. I mean, three kids, same household, but they're different. They, I think they both can stand on their own two feet. Um, as far as I know, neither one of them partake in any of those things. Uh, I say far as I know, because every parent says that, um, but, but the reality is uh, that, um, you know, same house, but they've gravitated towards positive things. Ian and Sam, you know, the golf industry or the golf uh, family, it's unbelievable. And Kenyon basketball is unbelievable too. They take you in like a brother, literally. And, and um, I don't know if Seth had that when he quit basketball, that was the last thing he had. Kenyon, you coach Seth, you know how it was. Um, I think he lost that when he quit, but, how would you answer that? That's a, that's a great question by Bill. I, I do think the answer is you do gravitate towards like peer group. Absolutely. Um, I still remember when the boys came home from AK and they, all the thing they talked about was Logan Renner and Ian Johnston. And that was when they were five years old. And, um, but I think they, right. They, they, they have gravitated to like spirits. I think the best thing about just, just talking about those four boys even though Chris and Keegan are at University of Iowa and Ian's at South Dakota, like when they get back together, it's like they're five years old again, right? Oh, it's awesome. They're, 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 they're true, true friends. And I think that's what we've really done here is, is try to, I think they see it in us, like as far yeah. as where Michelle and I, who we hang out with, those kind of things. It, it really is the people that you, you gravitate to people that have like energy. You gravitate to the people that you know or you hope won't steer you wrong. And I think they've seen that in us. And and I think, you know, the credit goes to them too, for being able to, to make those decisions and navigate those things. And McKenna's the same way, you know, yeah. she, when she comes home and she talks about spending a night at a, at a friend's house and they sang Christian songs and they prayed and they did this, yeah. and do that, you know, it's kind of one of those moments, like, 
we did okay, you know. So, but uh, but yeah, and and, I, and also we know, you know, we try to know the families of the kids that are uh, the families that our kids are involved with too. And I think um, that takes a lot of time too, just to be a, a present parent. We have two questions, and I'm actually going to take Brock's first, but David, I'm going to come back to yours. Um, it's so sad when a college athlete has a bad game, and then people go on social media and say negative things. Kenyon, what do you say to your boys about social media and fan comments? And then David Miller, I'm going to come back to your question on Sam after this because I want to hear Sam's answer. Uh, I am I am transparent as they come. I get on social media and I let people know how it is. Honestly, like Chris and Keegan are not social media people, um, but I think as a, as a basketball coach first, a father second. Um, I understand the game. And when things happen, uh, I'm able to look at it from a perspective as a coach. So to answer Brock's questions, I get on and I'm I'm real with people like yeah. I don't I don't like armchair coaches. If someone says something that they don't understand, I challenge them. Yeah, it mm -hmm. doesn't matter what social media board I'm on Twitter, HawkeyeReport.com, message boards. The one thing that I'm confident in is I know the game of basketball. I understand people, players and what coaches do. So for me. I, I dive head first into anything anybody says when it comes to social media. Kenyon, you've forgotten more than most than 95% of the fans that <laughs> watch the games. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, that's a good answer. And I know again, you're early under the microscope because not only are you a legacy player, you know, you're one of the greatest Hawkeyes of all time, but now you've got two boys on the team, you know, and um, it's going to be great watching them. Okay. Sam, your turn. David Miller asks, how did you make the decision to talk about your mental health so publicly? And I've asked you this too, Sam, so I'm dying to hear how you answer this again. Did you ever hesitate to share what you were going through or do you ever regret the decision? What an awesome question. Thanks, David, for the question. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I feel like the decision to the decision to come out initially with the AJGA fundraiser, um, as I noted, I, I believe in our interview, took me about six months. Um, uh, from initially finding out about the opportunity um, to to figuring out um, who I would want to support in the fundraiser, I ended up choosing the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, um, and just you know really um, trying to internalize the situation and, and reflect and and see if it was something I wanted to pursue. Obviously, after the six months, um, I, I decided to go through with it. Um, but I'd be lying to you if if I said um, I didn't have any regrets. Um, and there was a lot of hesitation there, and there's still a lot of hesitation there. Um, you know, I, I first announced, I actually first announced the uh, the fundraiser right around, or three years ago, right around this time in April. Um, uh, immediately after I post the first fundraiser, I think because of the overflow of support, um, it was really, really cool to be able to see that. Um, and mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily have any regrets because it wasn't something I was thinking of. Um, but now as the years go by, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, sometimes I'll post something on social media where I'm arguably most active um, with my mental health stuff or um, doing stuff with the nonprofit. Um, you know, sometimes I look back on it and I, I really start to question myself. You know, I, uh, you know, should I have done that? Should, you know, should I be, am I being so vulnerable to the point where it's, it, it comes across as attention seeking, even though that's not what I'm intending? Um, all of, all of these different things, um, uh, just introspection to a degree that I hope no one else has to go through. Um, so, uh, look, you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, I don't regret it. I, 
I'm I'm so incredibly happy that that I reached out for support, um, and and also I'm incredibly lucky that I have such a great support system. You know, both my parents, um, siblings, you know, anyone and everyone. Um, uh, so it's 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 been a long journey. One like I mentioned with uh, with many uh, many smaller regrets, but but in the end, I'm I'm very glad I did it. Sam, let me let me tell you something. Um, you know the fact that you were able to do this at an age when most young men are have other things on their minds, um, not Kenny and I, obviously, but, uh, um, you know, at, at 15, 16, 17, to have, to have the ability to talk about this, you know, as, as an athlete being recruited, you're probably wondering, is a coach not going to want me now? I mean, I'm sure these things came out. I, I want to tell you, um, I want to read something from my book and this is, this is my book. This one's for you an inspirational journey through addiction, death and meaning. And that is a picture of Sam in my book. And that Sam, I don't know. It looks like a, a skinny young Sam there. So I don't know, but uh, you must've been like in ninth grade or something, but I want to read something to people listening right now to get in the mind of an adolescent that, and Sam, I hope you're okay with this, but it's in my book, so you better have been okay with it. Absolutely, um, absolutely. But when you read this and you have a child, I want you to think about what's going on in their head. Because I'm sure the people in your life at this time, Sam, didn't know that you had these thoughts, or at least they didn't know the intensity of the thoughts. So sit back a minute, I'm gonna read two paragraphs. And if, th if this doesn't shake you as a parent, I don't know what will. In eighth grade, Sam said, I was on top of the world. He was excelling in school and enjoying his, his own golf journey. And he says to me, one morning I woke up and fell off, empty, not a sadness, but I didn't want to play golf anymore. As time went on, I lost my passion for everything, not just golf. And then in your blog, this is what really, really struck me. You write a blog called Out of the Dark. And this is amazing, Sam. I, I just have so much admiration for you, man. You wrote this on January 25th, 2020. So think about that. That's just, that's not that long ago. This is after you came out with all this stuff too, right? Mm -hmm. Something is wrong with me. I feel like I want to die again. And I don't know wh where or why it started. I think it has lasted for about a month now, but I am entirely unsure. I have lost motivation to do anything and everything. Should I kill myself? What do I have to live for? And that was on January 25th, 2020. And then this one right here was the one that, stopped me in my tracks. Um, three weeks ago, I almost killed myself. In days prior, I had thought about how I would have done it. Would I drink bleach that sits just feet away from my bedroom? Would I take the chef's knife in my kitchen and slit my throat? Or would I take the same belt I wear every day and hang myself only for my parents to find my lifeless corpse in the closet? Man, I tell you, Sam, um, when they found Seth in the hotel room, his belt was sitting on the bed. And I write about that in my book. It was curled up in a tourniquet. And when you said that, man, I said to myself, I'm going to do this the rest of my life. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. I mean, if you and I and Kenyon and Daniel and Steve can continue this story that the next Seth is out there, the next Sam is out there, and they're deciding between something is for them at that moment as trivial, and it can be so monumental, Sam, I applaud you for what you did and you have impacted me a thousand times over and you are an inspiration to me. And I know you struggle with this, I, I do as well. And it's not just gonna go away. 
but I'm always there for you. If you ever want to call me anytime, I'll fly out to see you. Um, anything you want, man, I'm there for you. I, I, you've been a life changer for me. You've been an absolute rock star. And I know there's so many, and it's not just kids. You know, the, the, one of the highest uh, areas of suicide year over year is middle-aged men. So this isn't just a kid story, Kenyon. This is all walks of life. You know, suicide seems to be the easy way out, and it always has been. But it's it's not a, it's not the easy way out. You leave so much collateral damage forever for generations. Thoughts? Yeah, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask Sam. I was like, you know, to to have the wherewithal to say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to reveal this to the world. Like, where were you? What what was the moment where you're like, okay, I can do this? Like, was there someone that said something to you or what was it that gave you the strength to be able to do that? Absolutely. So I think the, the one thing that I've mentioned quite a bit is that when I was first um, deciding whether I was going to share my experiences, I didn't talk to anybody because I was convinced and, and rightly so um, um, that they were going to try to talk me out of it. And, I completely understand why. I mean, first of all, the 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 notion that anyone would talk about these things so openly is is kind of absurd, or at least um, to, to many people it seems absurd. Um, but I, uh, I I think I I took a lot of inspiration um, initially from uh, hearing experiences. Uh, there were a few really impactful discussions in classes I had in high school. Um, where people very briefly and in not much detail share, shared that they were struggling with something. And, and these were individuals that, um, it, like, uh, like everyone kind of alludes to, it's, uh, they're individuals that you would never expect to have uh, been struggling with anything. So, so that was the real inspiration for me. And admittedly, you know, a year or two years after that, um, I wasn't necessarily feeling burnt out, but um, I think I just had so much going on at one time, you know, trying to figure out college, high school, um, tournament golf, that kind of stuff where I kind of fell out of it a bit. Um, but then once my, uh, my partner, my co-founder of, of Ticket uh, approached me again, um, Noah, uh, we, we started talking. And, and also before that, um, that's where I started talking with Jeff. Um, so this was this was later 2018, if I can remember correctly, when um, uh, you guys were in, uh, I believe, at PJ National for the yeah, and the you and you and Ian were finalists. You and Ian were finalists for the National Jerry Cole Sportsmanship Award, which they pick one boy or, or girl. So now they've done a boy and a girl, but back mm -hmm. when when it was there, and you guys were finalists together, and that's where our stories kind of meshed. And uh, you know, Ian won it that year, Sam. But I tell you what, I you guys all want it. I mean, they had to pay. I told Kevin Rinker the other day when he was a guest on my podcast, that had been the hardest decision. He said your, your guys's year was the hardest decision they've ever had. Really? Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. That's I knowing I, so as soon as I found out I was a finalist, there was this wave of curiosity to see what I, what I may have been up against and reading the stories. Admittedly, I was very, very intimidated. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm not, I'm not one who, I, I, I don't care about titles. I don't care about awards. The, the, the thought of, of being uh, named a finalist uh, uh, for something like that, something prestigious as that is, is enough to make me quit more than happy you know it's it's an right. it's an incredible honor you know um but but seeing uh, who some of the other finalists were i was like yeah this is gonna be tougher than 
than I could have ever imagined. Um, with that being said, though, it's uh, uh, the opportunity that the AJGA gives us is just so cool. Um, you know, being able to support um, uh, to to support the causes that we're passionate about and, and share our own stories with with these sorts of issues. I mean, I. I single-handedly attribute all of what I've done now to the AJGA Leadership Links Program and, and uh, Beth Doctor and their entire team there. So yeah. it's um, it's it's just been so so cool. And I definitely wish I could have played a bit better in the AJGA event, but um, uh, but uh, but yeah, the opportunities that they give us are, are really special. Hey Sam, Noah, Noah threw in a quick question. Did you see it, Kenyon? Yeah, I was about to ask you. <laughs> 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 I love yeah. it. How do you how do you answer that, Sam? What's it like having an extremely talented and handsome co-founder? Uh, you you know I'm I'm really really fortunate to have such a great support system behind me. Um, you know Noah Noah's a great uh, kid. He's he's the reason why we started Kick It. Um, I wasn't I he came up with the idea, not me. Um, uh, so I'm kind of like the the secondhand man here. Um, but, all right, tell know, us about Kick It. Tell us about Kick It. Yeah. So. Uh, we started in, in early, um, or no, we started like May, June, 2019 is when we first, um, we first had meetings about it, uh, actually at our local library. Um, and we were talking about, all right, we want to have this intramural sports tournament. Um, we decided, um, we decided we were going to have a kickball tournament, uh, through an Instagram poll, which is super, super informal and kind of lame, but that's how we figured it out. Um, I think it was between kickball and dodgeball, um, uh so so that's what we kind of came to um and uh we spent the next few months of planning for the event we ended up having it in october of 2019 and it actually went way better than i think we could have ever expected um you know uh so just as a preface we support the at the time we were supporting the american foundation for suicide prevention so we weren't a nonprofit yet none of the funds were going um to us it was sort of just like a funnel to the afsp um so we had that event at Woburn Memorial High School in Woburn, Massachusetts, um, where I'm from. Um, and then uh, the plan was to have, obviously have another event in, in 2020, but that was stumped by COVID. Um, the plan was to have the event um, on June 27th, I believe. Um, and uh, unfortunately we got the news, we got the news pretty early on in the pandemic that this just doesn't look like a possibility. Um, and that's when we kind of went back to the drawing board and tried to figure out um, trying to figure out some other way we could contribute to the community because um, we didn't want 2020 to be a washout year, um, especially um, considering all the turmoil that's, uh, that was going on and is still going on. You know, people um, need the support with their, with their mental health. Um, and uh, so we, that was when we decided to, um, to start a scholarship. Um, two scholarships of $1,500 supporting um, two awesome. students at our local high school, um, which right now we're actually um, uh, we're in the midst of of determining winners for that. Um, so that's been super fun. Um, in September, so I believe our official incorporation date, our approval date is September 16th of of 2020 is when we officially became a nonprofit, Kick It for a Cause Incorporated um, here in Massachusetts. Um, and admittedly. Uh, we didn't we knew what we were getting into but we didn't know what we were getting into i mean we're a bunch of 19 like and we have an incredible support system i mean um noah's parents my parents um siblings all around i mean it's without them it, it wouldn't be possible but it's definitely a lot of work um more work than 
I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, more work than we were expecting, but it's definitely yeah. a lot to juggle. Um, with that being said, it's it's still so much fun, and I'm 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 so so excited for our event um, coming up this year, uh, assuming things go well with with COVID. But it's looking pretty good right now, especially here in Massachusetts. But uh, um, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what what we'll be able to do in the future with Kick It. Well, you bring up support. I mean, uh, Kenyon's a, a founding board member of the Choices Net- Network with me along with Doug Wagner and um, Dan Walterman. And then Roman is our youth ambassador. And um, you're right. I mean, we couldn't do all this. My golf outing, my golf tournament coming up, Linda Elif and Lori Renner and Molly. Well, Molly's involved in everything. Uh, I I simply, I probably don't exist if it's not for Molly. (laughs) I'm selling cars. I'm selling cars somewhere. I don't know what I'm doing, but but uh, no, you're right. You, we got to have support and we can't do these things on our own. And, you know, Kenyon, you've been involved with the um, the LBA. Why don't you talk a little bit about that locally here? Um, you know, your foundation you came up with and um, we went to an event this weekend. There was just kids everywhere. It was awesome. Awesome event. Yeah, the LBA Foundation uh, stands for Leaders, Believers, Achievers. And, and it really came out of giving kids an, an avenue after school to have something to do something constructive. And, and basketball, it was the easiest thing because we had access to the gyms and that kind of thing. But it's grown from where we started in 2011. We had about 30 kids or so involved with, with it, um, had some basketball teams, but it's grown to us servicing over 300 people, uh, 300 kids in the wow. greater Cedar Rapids area. And, and we help with everything from uh, from sports to uh, we've got a dance team. We do cooking classes. Um, we've got a couple of kids that we we've given scholarships to that one's at Ohio State University and one's at the University of Iowa uh, studying. Uh, uh, I think they're pre-med. And so the LBA is really about giving kids opportunities in our community um, to experience things that maybe they have a passion about. Maybe they don't, but at least it's exposing them to other things that are out there. And I and I think, um, you know, Al O'Bannon uh, is the catalyst behind the mm-hmm. LBA Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I started together, but he's taken it and, and really run with it. Um, and so, but we've got uh, a partnership with Cedar Rapids uh, Community School District. We've got partnerships with Cedar Rapids Parks and Rec. We just got a grant from the Greater Cedar Rapids Foundation. So there's a lot of things that we we're doing, but it wouldn't be so if it wasn't for the support you know like like sam saying you you need people to support you in order for an organization to be successful like that and um i just love the way that we show up at an event and then automatically i get thrown to to do all the interviews but, <laughs> but no it, it is fun and to see all the kids and the families even though the weather wasn't great uh, we had a, a great turnout uh, with families and the best part about it was that the kids in the program they brought their siblings they brought their parents and everybody was able to enjoy the day. So um, I'm, I'm excited uh, for the future of the LBA Foundation as well as the Choices Network. Yeah, and I'm excited for uh, Kick It For A Cause too. So uh, all three of them are awesome, man. Hey, Angela West has a question for us. Question Sam and all of you. Is there anything parents can do to foster better conversations with our kids about the, the tough issues like mental health? And I'll throw out one thing and then you guys can jump on it from there. Uh, I've kind of developed this mindset where I am not trying to tell my kids what to think. I want to tell them how to think. So one of the problems is we tell our kids what not to do. Don't vape, don't drink, don't have sex, don't do all these things. 
but we don't tell them how to think through the process of making those decisions. That's how I would answer that answer that question, Angela. Um, Sam or Kenyon, what do you guys think? What would you add to that? Certainly, yeah. So I feel like um, I think the biggest thing when it comes to to these kinds of things is, is honesty. Um, I feel like being straightforward with um, uh, whether it's as a parent with with your own struggles or um, yeah, admittedly, uh, that can be very difficult. So I think that's that's not necessarily a, a big priority, but um, uh, being honest with uh, your feelings about the situation or, or how things are going are huge, especially when it comes to um, situations where uh, uh, all individuals, uh, you know, all parties involved are are generally pretty vulnerable. Um, with that being said, I think the the greatest piece of advice um, that that I've seen and, and something that I really stick to is just listening. Um, I think the most powerful thing you can do in these situations um, is is to listen to whoever you're trying to help as opposed to giving advice. Um, because sometimes you'll get caught in, uh, you know, um, caught in this role of, of playing, you know, armchair therapist when when admittedly you kind of get right. caught up and don't know what you're talking about at all. Um, right. Not saying that these parents aren't knowledgeable. I mean, they, they know their kids better than anybody else. Um, um, but I think that a lot of times when these people are reaching out, they just want to be heard. Um, and, and that's something that's really, really important to keep in mind. Um, and, and also um, being open to options like therapy, whether it be talk therapy um, uh, with a psychologist or uh, seeking medication if, if talk therapy doesn't work with a psychiatrist. Um, so, so really just listening and, and being option, open to the options for, uh, for recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's about being being transparent with your own uh, feelings and struggles, right? Um, admittedly, three years ago, my wife and I almost got a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it was, you know, decisions that I had made. But the one thing I could have done a lot like you, Jeff, I could have ran from it or I could face it. And I think what has allowed us to have open conversations with our kids was the fact that um, I was open with some of the bad choices I made with them and how it affected our, my, our marriage, and then also how that affected the way I parented. And I think being open there and, and showing them that it's not easy, uh, that I struggle, that, you know, going to, like you were saying, Sam, going to counseling was the best thing that could have ever happened for me. And, you know, Jeff, I, I throw it out yeah. there to anybody now. Like, yeah. I think it was just that moment of when, cause the hardest person to look at is the person staring back at you in the mirror. And if you're able to face that person, you're able to be honest with yourself, then it's really, really easy to be honest with other people. And so for me, it was just, I wanted my kids to understand like life can be difficult. It can throw you curveballs, but if you have the right people around you, you're willing to face those things that scare you. Um, And a lot of times, uh, like you said, you had your bad days. I had my bad days too. Um, And I think that honesty, that openness, that ability to share those feelings and thoughts with your kids, I think that'll help open up the avenues that a lot of parents are looking for when it comes to knowing what's going on with their kids and being able to connect with them. Well, there's a reason why I paired you two on this um, last hour was I wanted to talk a little bit about sports and kind of how sports are sports mirror life. And, you know, Sam, you're on the first hole of a two-day tournament and you snap hook your first ball in the woods 
you got a lot of you got a lot of golf ahead of you, dude. You know, <laughs> um, Kenyon, you know, you're in a basketball game and it's coming to the end of the game and you fouled and you miss a free throw and you, your team loses and you got another game the next day. You know, you got to find ways to bury it and move on. You know, and I guess what are your guys' thoughts on 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 sports and kind of how that's really helped you personally deal with in Kenyon, your case with the death of Chris Street? You know, you just you guys did some of the most heroic basketball games ever in basketball history. It was right after Chris's death. And that's not luck. That's because sports triggered something in you guys. So I'll have maybe you go first, Kenyon, because I just brought that up. And then, Sam, maybe you can jump in and talk about how golf maybe saved you. Well, I'm telling you, the only, you know, Tom Davis, our head coach, I mean, he 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 navigated that time for us better than anybody else could have. And I think, one, he wanted us to be in touch with what was going on to grieve. Um, but I think what it did is it gave us a distraction, right? Um, admittedly, for me, uh, I talked to Mike and Patty, and I probably didn't deal with Chris's death up until about three years ago when I was dealing with the other things with my marriage and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes we suppress it. And I think sometimes sports can be that distraction for you, but there's going to come a time when you have to deal with the actual grief. But for us, it, it, it really got us through it. Um, we were able to rally around each other, uh, like you said, for a couple of the most unbelievable games yeah. I've ever played in. Yeah. Um, and so I think for, for me, sports, uh, it, it allows for distractions when you need it, but it also uh, teaches life lessons because I think you're going to have failures in life, like you're saying, missing a shot, those kind of things. But understanding that um, that's not going to define you. A missed free throw doesn't define you. I was a horrible free throw shooter and, a, and a, even a worse three point shooter, but I didn't let, let those things define me as a player. Right. And so those are, that's the thing about life. Like you're going to have your ups and downs. You're going to have your failures, but that doesn't have to define who you are and what you stand for. Um, and, and that can propel you in, into a lot of great things. If you, if you keep that mindset. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what you just said, Kenyon, um, especially with with the sport like golf that, um, you know, the, I probably one of the most more popular sayings is, you know, one shot at a time. I mean, obviously something that's very applicable to, to life in general. And um, I know I know that for me, I've, I've certainly have my had my difficulties within the game. Um, you know, admittedly, my my junior golf competitive career was was uh not as maybe as easy or as nice as i would have liked for it to have been but i've i've really i've really gotten so much out of the game whether it be um you know uh experiences where i i didn't live up to to expectations or my, really my own expectations i think i think kind of the beauty of living under the radar is that you know for the most part the expect expectations that you feel are are self-imposed um but, you know, whether it be kind of on the micro level, you know, like you said, stepping up on the first tee and, and rope hooking one OB or um, <laughs> and, and, and kind of, I've done that way too many times. Um, but, uh, 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 you know, things like that or on the larger scale, like I said, with with my junior golf career, I I played pretty poor golf for like three or four years in a row. And it, and it really, really beat me up. Um, um, so I, I, I think those two combined have, have given me an incredible um, life skills moving forward. And, and, and that kind of, uh, that kind of grit and that kind of perseverance have, have allowed me to do what I do today um, mm -hmm. with, um, 
with a lot of my suicide prevention work. Like I said, I, I still have a lot of regrets with what I do or, you know, I'll post something and immediately after I feel like, did I need to post that? Why did I do that? You know, um, you know, relatively trivial feelings, but they're still there. Um, and, and I feel like that, that perseverance that has come from, from golf and, and sport in general, you know, I, I didn't grow up just playing golf. I was also a hockey and soccer and lacrosse mm-hmm. player, um, three sport kid growing up. But, um, I feel like those have given me the tools that I need to really move forward the way I want to, um, not only with the nonprofit, uh, mental health and suicide prevention stuff, but just life in general. I think Kenyon, you are going to be a professional oboe player, right? Is that what it's called? <laughs> no, I was going to be a, a viola player. <laughs> well, what's, oh, is that what it's called? A viola? I don't yeah, know what it's viola. called. Yeah, that's pretty good. Tell that story real quick. You were sitting with your mom or something, and then you decided between basketball and that. <laughs> yeah. So I started playing uh, classical viola uh, about fourth grade and uh, did the private lessons. I was first chair, but uh, and I really wasn't an athlete growing up. I mean, I love football. My mom didn't let me play it. So it was pretty much that in school. And uh, I had a pretty good freshman year and, and then uh, sophomore year going into it, I had a really good summer. And I told and I, our coach wanted us to have gym in sixth period. Well, that was the only time they had orchestra. So I had to make a decision. So I came home and, and told my mom I was quitting the orchestra because I didn't think I could get a scholarship <laughs> playing the viola. I probably could get one playing <laughs> basketball. And so, uh, yeah, she she didn't like the decision, but I think it worked out pretty well. So I think it's okay for yourself. Yeah. Hey, do you mind as we kind of wrap this up, spend a few minutes on that that day that Chris died and kind of how that how yeah. that's carried how's that how that's carried you? I, I see you live with such a, a passion and you know everything you do is a thousand percent. You know, you don't do anything half ass. And it's like I have to think that, you know, in your life since that happened, that you guys were roommates, you know, and maybe you know, people listening don't know too much maybe about the Chris Street story, maybe out at where Sam lives, but Chris was, you know, he was everything for Iowa basketball. He embodied toughness and hard work and he grew up wanting to be a Hawkeye and he came to Iowa and I guess, Kenny, you can take it from there. Yeah. You know, he was a big reason why I came to Iowa. Um, he and I really connected on my visit and, and I was a little brother he didn't have. So, you know, um, being a big brother, having two sisters, I think he always wanted a little brother and he kind of took me in. Um, but yeah, it, it was, um it's one of those things like you you when you don't have somebody and you think about what life would be if they were here like where would you be and those kind of things i think for me the toughest thing is those kind of thoughts because i know he had so many goals and he was so good at so many different things um it's always been hard for me to like, just think about life without him. Um, so I still deal with it, you know, obviously naming one of the boys after Chris was, um, something Michelle knew right away when we met, uh, first yeah. kid was first son was going to be named Chris. Um, but I think, uh, more than anything, I just want him to be proud of what I've done. Right. Um, yeah. proud of who I am, proud of the family, uh, Probably I still stay in touch with his mom and dad, like those kind of things. So for me, I still deal with it. Um, yeah. You know, Kenyon, the day that he died was a day of practice and it was a sophomore year, right? And you guys were coming back. He had left the meeting. 
is that my dad was there that day as the team doctor. And it, that's why the street story has been very personal for me. And um, I appreciate your tears, brother. Um, you yeah. and I have cried. You and I have cried a lot together. <laughs> um, yeah. But the day that the moment he died, Sam, it was an accident. Um, it wasn't a snowplow. Kenyon, no, they yeah, had a, we're, had yeah, a, we had a plow up. Yeah, team meal. Uh, we had a game the next day. Uh, we were supposed to get snow that night. And, you know, they weigh those plow trucks down with like salt and sand and that kind of stuff. So uh, coming out, uh, it was kind of like where the, they have the lights. So it was kind of a, a distance thing that he really couldn't tell. And he just pulled out right in front of it. And, and Chris was killed on impact. Um, his girlfriend at the time, Kim, she uh, she was busted up pretty good, too. And I actually drove by the accident um, mm -hmm. and. I was with another teammate and we were like, I, he thought it was Chris's car. I didn't because I was like, oh, he left a long time ago. Um, so, but when I got back to the dorm, I said to my roommate, I was like, I think something happened to Chris. Like it was like mm -hmm. that moment where it just kind of hit me and I knew. Um, and yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was one of the darkest days just because you, you, in that moment you ask God why, right. Yeah. You ask, you ask him, why would he take somebody like that? But I think then you look at the way Chris has impacted the state and impacted so many people in the way Mike and Patty have continued his legacy yeah. and kept his name alive. It's, it's unbelievable how many people he's touched and you never want to think that, uh, that someone that good would be taken away so soon. Mm -hmm. But I think in that, um, he's done a lot. He's done a lot for a lot of people, um, with his angels wings. So, uh, like I said, it, he he was one of a kind. Well, I know it's touched my dad. He's 87 now, and he it, it it's, uh, doesn't go by very long where he doesn't talk about that day with Chris and um you know with John Streif and all those guys that were there that day. But you know, I will tell you, Mike and Patty have been an absolute inspiration to me um, up there with Steve Grant because you know I watched you know as a young man um how they handled it so amazingly and never thought, you know, I would be a member of that club, you know, didn't, had no idea, you know, when the boys were all little and playing and we were going to Disneyland and doing all the things that every parents do. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get that call and life changes and what Mike and Patty have done, you know, I just, I, I, I want to be like them. I want to be like Steve Grant. You know, I, 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 I don't know if I can ever do half of what those people have done. And I know people look at me and say, well, you're doing great things, Jeff. I'm like, well, Mike and Patty have done great things. Steve Grant, I'm, I'm hopefully just getting started. And that's why you guys are here tonight. That's why Dan and Steve were here. And that's why the living undeterred dream came about. And that's why I do what I do because your tears, Kenyon is love and passion. And that fuels the fire in us to do great things. And Sam, you're right there too, brother. I mean, you're doing things that, you know, I can relate to. You can't relate to what I've been through, but I can certainly relate to what you've been through. And I hope you never have to go with what I went through. But I tell you what, if you ever did, I know you can handle it, Sam. I, I know you have the resolve. You're building a tremendous fortress around you to handle what life's going to throw at you. I mean, I'm older than both of you and I know I got tough calls ahead of me. I know my phone could ring tonight and I could get a very bad call, but I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. And I, and Sam too, if I can say anything, man, it's, if you touch one person, if you, if you get one person to not take their life, like then you've done something amazing. Right. Yeah. I think we look at things and we try to quantify, you know, our organizations and all the people that we can touch. 
but in reality if you can touch one person you know you you've done you've done a good you that's mission accomplished right yeah and i think that you need to continue to understand that too um because i think there can be a weight with with what what we do oh yeah um, that we good disappoint point. people but I'm telling you man one person if you can do that all right you, you've done all right and Kenyon, yeah. I got one, I got a couple, we got a couple minutes left, but okay. So I got to ask you a question, Kenyon, which one of the two twins is easier to beat one-on-one? By me? Let's go back like six years. <laughs> no, see, listen, they always know how good I was. I never played them. So I'm never going to be able to answer that question. Okay. How about Kenna? Can Kenna beat you right now? No, she's got a, she's got a messed up wheel. I, uh, I, I can beat her still. That's the only, that's the only reason. That's the only reason. I know. I know. Um, well, I think as we wrap this up, guys, I, I, again, I think between five of us tonight over two hours, if one person hasn't listened to this, or at least when this reposts and rebroadcasts later, um, I'll be very surprised if one person that didn't consider suicide, Hey, I can be like Sam or one person that had a friend die tragically of cancer or a car accident says, Hey, I can, I can live inspired like Kenyon or somebody who loses a son to an overdose said, Hey, I can, I can be like Steve and Jeff or someone that battles issues that they had that, um, you know, Daniel didn't get too much in that tonight, but he's had his own personal things and, and to become such a positive influence uh, on social media. If we haven't touched one person tonight, then you know what, I'm going to tee it up and do it again tomorrow. You know, I'm, I'm not going to stop. Right, Sam, we snap hook it the first hole out of bounds. We're not quitting, are we? Absolutely not, Jeff. So I, I'm honored to do this with you guys. Um, I'm going to spend the last couple of minutes kind of closing th some things out. But did you guys each have 30 seconds you wanted to throw out there for anybody? Just some words of wisdom. Sure, uh, I'll go first. <laughs> um, I, I, I think the greatest not necessarily advice, but my words of wisdom are, are, are that you matter. Um, whether it's Jeff, Kenyon, anyone, anyone listening right now or, or in the broadcast later, um, you matter. Um, and, and nothing can ever change that. Um, your feelings and emotions are valid, uh, regardless of what, what anyone will tell you. And, and your life has incredible worth, no matter what you're feeling. Um, so, uh, uh, like I said, there are so many people who are struggling that you would never suspect are are dealing with things, and and if you are one of those people, um, or even someone who's who's out in the open about their struggles, um, uh, know that uh, you'll always have someone to, um, or have you'll always have someone that has your back, um, and and if you truly feel like you don't, uh, I've always got your back. So thank you. Um, yeah, that's that's that's. Kenyon, you got me. thirty seconds, Kenyon. All I'm going to say is, is when you have an opportunity to pour into someone, pour into them, right? Whether you're there for as an ear uh, to listen, you're there uh, as a shoulder to cry on. Um, but, you know, try and meet people where they are. Don't don't judge. Um, let them talk and just be what they need in that moment. And I think if we can do that, uh, we'll treat people the way that we want to be treated. And I think we can all make a difference. Thank you very much tonight, guys. If you can hang on a second, I'll wrap this up. But I want to uh, give a personal thank of gratitude to Molly Nordlock. And I mean, you guys know how much Molly's been to me. She's been behind the scenes here. I get so much credit. Everyone's like, man, Jeff, your stuff's so awesome. It's like my content. Oh, yeah, I know. I got to take I got to. Yeah, I understand. Yep. <laughs> Cut Kenyon off. Cut Kenyon off right now. So 
Uh, the reality is, Molly, you're awesome. You're a rock star. I couldn't do any of this without you. And all of us have people behind us in the trenches working, and um, they deserve a lot of credit. So with that, guys, this has been arguably one of the greatest nights of my life. I've really enjoyed this. I I wasn't nervous. I was, I was nervous I wasn't going to get everything said. And with that, I'm already going to be working on the Living Undeterred live stream number two. Um, and I'm going to be probably dragging in some of my past podcast guests, but I want to suggest people like us. They post us, they subscribe on my www.livingundeterred.com. Keep sharing the story, keep loving each other. Uh, we all can help each other get through this. So again, livingundeterred.com, subscribe to us on Spotify, YouTube, whatever it is. Everybody have a good night. Thank you much and live undeterred. Thank you.